Guys, we made it. We made it through early signing period. Thank the Lord. Nick, your fingers didn't break or fall off. <laughs> Barely. I was barely I was hanging on, short, man. <laughs> was a, yeah. I mean, fortunately, fortunately, I only had to write up like what seven posts on like years and <laughs> like years past, something like that. Yeah. So it, it wasn't was too bad. Yeah, you may have lucked out with the the transition there. Um, so, welcome <laughs> to the Bluminati podcast, uh, Nick. Simon is here with us. He our our recruiting guru. Um, first time on the pod this year, I believe, right? This is like I I think I was like on a random pod like last year or something like that. So it's it's been a good it's been a good minute. Oh well, welcome back. Um, just kind of dive right into first it. Time long um, time, you know, right? Uh, <laughs> we've. We've gone through early signing period. I think the last day to sign, I think it ends in like an hour and a half, I believe, right? Yeah, it is just the last so, day, basically. So I don't think we're going to get anyone. Um, <laughs> you know, overall, you know, USF signs nine guys, uh, seven, you know, freshmen coming in or seven, you know, new signees and then one JUCO guy and then two guys transferring from uh, – Oregon and uh, UNC at both positions of need. Uh, where where do you see this uh, recruiting class so far? Um, what what do we what can we expect uh, heading into February? I mean, going through the transition. I mean, Jimmy, we all basically touched on this, and we all anticipated it that going into this particular part of the early signing period, it was basically just going to be a game of salvaging what you can, you know, with the timing of Scott kind of getting here only eight days before for it, there's not really much time. You know, we already had quite a few recruits bail out after strong left. So it was basically um, just salvaging what we had. And even though we only got like seven guys, coming out of the class that we already had, it's still, you know, pretty, pretty solid guys who could still potentially contribute right away next year. No. Is there, is there one guy that uh, from this recruiting class so far that as you've kind of watched them progress, that excites you uh, heading into 2020, that maybe they can make an immediate impact on the field? Oh, Marion Dollison out of Gray Academy you know, really stood out to me, like instantly stood out to me the moment um, the moment Scott uh, offered him. Because one thing that Seth had been talking about all year long was just the need to import talent offensively, particularly in the receiver core. You know, you didn't ha- really have that many guys who had the who could naturally separate themselves from their defenders and watching Dollison, he's definitely one of those guys. Especially like when you just look at his stats that he put up, it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, Steve, I think you, what you mentioned when you watched his film, I think it was what like sixteen hundred yards, twenty touchdowns, or something like that. Yeah, and uh, the number that really jumped out to me was eighteen point eight yards per reception. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the times it wasn't, 
you know, him catching a post 40 yards downfield. It was him catching a five yard out route and cutting it up, making guys miss and, uh, you know, finding, finding the open areas and, you know, his, his quarterback as well. And you could just kind of tell they were both completely in sync on, on a lot of these plays, man. It was, it was, it was almost, uh, how Rodney Adams and Quentin Flowers were at points. He's like the king of bubble screens, just from what I saw. Like, he'd get it on and out and just charge up the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, you mentioned, you know, his quarterback, uh, Hunter Helms. Uh, he's, he's gotten an offer from USF. Um, mm-hmm. It's been reported that he, he will be visiting in January. And I believe he's going to visit Clemson as well in January. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what what have you seen from Hunter? Is you know I know he may not be a Clemson level guy, but can he compete for a you know either a starting position or a number two spot uh, for USF in twenty twenty if he does sign with the USF? Without a doubt, and his his stats just straight off the off the bat were absolutely ridiculous. And and for someone who prior to USF giving him an offer, his best I guess when you put it in air quotes, the best offer he had was Holy Cross. Uh, you know, he he was a very underrated guy, not a lot of, you know, big offers or anything like that. But, you know, he put up ridiculous amount of numbers. I think uh, his his reported number was he was number four nationally in high school in passing yards last season, um, which we later found out is not actually accurate. That was through Max Preps. Um, there was another stat that had him at 17, but his his senior season stats were as followed. He had a 77% uh, completion percentage, 4,126 passing yards, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. He was All-State. He was a region champion, region player of the year, uh, and number one overall in college or high school football, excuse me, with QBR at 150. Uh, I mean, everything on that screams talented quarterback. Um, you know, he won states three times, didn't win it this past season, but he, he just puts up ridiculous numbers, throws a really pretty ball. And uh, my, some of the uh, plays that kind of stuck out to me was, you know, it, it wasn't a lot of times that he had a clean pocket. You know, a lot of the times he was, you know, taking contact, having to roll out, having to avoid pressure to, you know, make the tight throws into a, into coverage or, uh, you know, take off and run if he had to. You know, he's definitely a really talented kid. There's a reason why Clemson was also looking at him, and there's a reason why Jeff Scott got down here and gave Omarion and Hunter uh, an offer right away. You know, he he definitely had his eyes on them while he was in uh, with Clemson, and I think now we can kind of take advantage of the fact that these guys probably could have walked on at Clemson and made a made a pretty big, pretty big impact. I think what's interesting about both those offers is that while Scott is obviously a very good recruiter and he's come down to Florida a lot and pulled guys and he's very good, he has a lot of relations in Florida, he also came down to Florida to get the big fish. He didn't come down to Florida to get, um, you know, for better or worse, USF-level players. So I think it was interesting to see those offers go out to guys that he's probably seen a ton because they were in-state at Clemson. They probably camped there. If they did any 7-on-7 stuff at Clemson, they were probably part of it. So he's probably seen them a lot. So for him to put those offers out of those two guys, it may have been something where 
they, it was one of the situations where, you know, well, yeah, he's not quite good enough for Clemson. You know, he's, I, I think he's a really good player, but he's not, we can't fit him in our numbers. But now he gets to a new job, and he's obviously the kids he's seen a lot, and he likes them. Well, now I can fit those guys in. So I'm going to make sure those are two of my first two offers that I make as USF head coach. So I thought that was interesting. Um, with the early signing period, you see that kind of relationship he's built up with the local coaches. Um, unfortunately for him, he's Clemson's located in South Carolina, so that's kind of where he had to look initially. But I know as he gets down to Florida, he'll kind of get those relationships going down here too. And uh, one thing. And one thing particular, um, that whole Clemson staff has shown an impeccable track record of player development. So the thing is, Clemson has just now gotten into a point where they're pulling in like five stars left and right. When you really go back and look throughout the last decade, a lot of it is them pulling in like USF caliber kids, you know, towards the bottom, those three-star kids that they're able to mold. And so when he looks at a guy like Dollison or Helm, he probably sees like a kid who could have very well been at Clinton like earlier on in the decade and emerge into, eventually emerge into a star. Yeah, I think you're right, Nick. Um, you know, it, it, this, it, what I've seen from Dollison, it seems like he's uh, he would have been a perfect fit for Clemson, you know, as they made that transition uh, away from Billy Napier into Chad Morris that, you know, that early, you know, 2011 to 2013 kind of a mold, still a very good player and gifted player. And I think he, he can excel here. Um, God, speaking of excel, I've actually put together a spreadsheet of all the scholarship positions. That was a brutal transition. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, sometimes it just falls into your lap. Um, you know, right now at, at the wide receiver position, you've got 10 scholarship players. Um, Randall St. Felix, Eddie McDoon, Jannard Phillips, Terrence Horn, Latrell Williams, who we didn't see uh, due to transfer rules. Logan Berryhill, we didn't see. Xavier Weaver got a lot of run. Um, Devontrez Dukes is uh, a special teams uh, body and then you got Johnny Ford if you know if he sticks around and then Amario Question uh, Dallison <laughs> Question mark and then you have you have I, I've only put together the list of scholarship guys um, I've got Bryce Miller written down here because uh, I anticipate that he'll probably get a scholarship but <clears throat> right now he doesn't so I think you may see maybe one or two more wide receivers uh, in February maybe through the the transfer portal or otherwise. Um, but the, I think the big positions of need uh, were kind of addressed uh, on on Wednesday. Um, you know, he assigned seven guys, and you know, four four of them are uh, in the the secondary. And I think you, you don't realize that maybe the secondary was kind of they were good, but they didn't they lacked depth. Um, I was writing I was writing them down prior to the three corners that they signed AJ Hamilton, Ben Knox, and Chris Downsell, they only had six corners. KJ, uh, Vincent Davis, Mike uh, Hampton, Daquan Evans, and MacArthur Burnett. Um, you know, the, and Eugene Bowman, excuse me. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of light in the back end, so trying to replenish that is going to be key. Um, linebacker, they could probably use another one. Uh, they're at seven right now. Uh, with 
again, um, Andrew Mims on the, on the cusp of scholarship, non-scholarship. And then Patrick Macon is still kind of up in the air, whether or not he will get that six year of eligibility. Um, from people I've talked to, uh, I don't think a decision has been made yet uh, through the NCAA, but hopefully we'll find out soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, quarterback, you're going to need to address that. You've only got three scholarship guys, and one of them is Jacquez Evans. You got Jordan McLeod, the incumbent, Kate Fortin, the UNC transfer, and then Jacquez uh, Evans. I think you know if Hunter Helms does come, I think that's be, that'd be great. Plus, if you get Jordan Smith into the fold. I think that's ideal. You get you have your your four scholarship quarterbacks. That's what every coach will tell you. You want at least four, and then you've got Jacquez Evans who can kind of bounce around from wide receiver and quarterback and kind of give them something uh, a little bit different than maybe the other four guys could. Um, you know, this is to the floor. What have you seen from Cade Fortin? Uh, you know, in his film and what he's what he did at UNC. Um, that kind of gives you hope that he may be able to succeed in uh, at USF. Um, hadn't so he had pretty limited playing time at UNC uh, two years ago. Uh, so Larry Fedora's last year, which uh, and I think they went two and ten that year. So he kind of got the the short end of the stick some games uh, late in the season where he you know was kind of thrusted into battle knowing that the starter at the time was injured and he just kind of had to make up ground but i mean he he has a he has a pretty strong arm i mean you can probably knock off all like the uh typical quarterback checkbox he has a you know strong arm he has the ability to run the ball he makes great reads etc cetera, etc cetera. the thing that i really liked about him was he has a little bit more grit than your average quarterback it felt like um you know he was he was a little bit more willing to tuck it and run it and make contact if he needed to um, didn't shy away from it uh, in the runs that he did have. Um, and then ultimately, like, he throws a really good deep ball. Um, very, very, very accurate. Uh, the misses that he had, it was against, I believe it was NC State when it was raining. And his misses were just like, you know, the, the rain kind of got to it. And, you know, you're not going to have great completion percentages when that happens. But I, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to pencil him as the day one starter. Um, you know, because there's going to be a lot of changes between now and and what happens on uh, in spring ball. But I mean, he's probably got the best shot just because he's the most complete of the two quarterbacks we currently have. And then looking at guys like Jordan Smith and potentially Hunter Helm, yeah, I, I don't anticipate a true freshman starting for us next year. Uh, but K definitely probably has the experience that they're looking for. Um, you know, he knows the grind of it. He's been in the system before. He, he's pretty familiar with it. So I, I think he's probably your day one favorite right now on, what is it, December 20th? Yeah, December 20th. And if you go back and look at his offer list, he's got a really good offer list in addition to North Carolina. Yet. Texas A&M, Arkansas State, California, Colorado State, Iowa, Iowa State, Kansas State, Kentucky, Louisville, Oklahoma State. Um. Ole Miss, Rutgers. So he he had, and he was a. I think Stieg said the other day that uh, maybe in his write up that he's also really really intelligent. He was like a four student, really really smart kid. So that always helps too. So I, I think there's there's I mean there's obviously just getting another body in that room helps. But he seems to be able. He maybe somebody can come in and play. Uh, how good it'll be, 
you never know with uh, those guys that are transferring, but it's at worst, it's another body that can play at this level. Mm-hmm. And Steve, you alluded to like <clears throat> just from everything you said, plus the 4.0, that's kind of, it's kind of a glimpse into what the type of players Scott wants to bring in, whether it be through the transfer portal or just him going out and straight up recruiting and developing these relationships with kids, you know, two, three years out. So that's kind of just a good glimpse into what kind of kids that will be coming into the program pretty soon. Yeah. Smart kids too. I mean, uh, Cade prior to committing to USF was, uh, took three official visits to Syracuse, Vanderbilt, and, uh, the third one always escapes with Kansas. Um, Took three official visits, took an unofficial to SMU, and then also took a, uh, a quite a few long distance phone calls to San Diego State. I believe his uh, uncle went to uh, San Diego State, so he has the the football pedigree and background. Uh, smart kid because he chose of all those really terrible locations, he chose Tampa. So we know he's a smart kid. Um, you know, so we know he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, his kind of one weakness is injury. Uh, he did get injured his senior year of high school. Obviously, recovered, played true freshman. Um, and then you know when you when Mac Brown comes in and he gets a four star, you know, perfect quarterback that he wanted with Sam Powell. You know, he he really did get the short end of the stick there. Uh, announced his transfer in August, so he was he he knew the writing was on the wall. But according to his offensive coordinator, he was the best pure passer on the team last year. Um, including Sam Powell. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, you know when he steps into Tampa and starts uh, putting on some green and gold. Yeah, it, it's it's tough to evaluate. Um, you know how how these guys will do because there's no staff yet. Um, you know today, uh, football scoop. I guess Friday, I should say Friday. Um, football scoop. You know, kind of had. Uh, a note uh, saying, you know, Charlie Weiss Jr. is uh, a distinct possibility to be the offensive coordinator at USF for Jeff Scott. Uh, he's spent the last <clears throat> two years, I believe, at FAU uh, before bouncing around the NFL and then FAU for a couple months in Alabama. Uh, Weiss Jr., their, their offense was fairly explosive. Uh, former Bull D'Angelo Antoine had a hell of a season under him this year um, outside of their All-American tight end um, who I voted for, and his name is escaping me right now. I see it. Can't think of it. Um, he was the second lead. Antoine was the second leading receiver, um, so he, he led all receivers. I think he had like 61 catches for 800-something yards and like six or seven touchdowns. Um, so he, he knows how Harrison to utilize Bryant. some guys in space. Harrison Bryant, thank you so much. Oh my God. Um, I was thinking like Andrew Bryant, I'm like, that's not right. Um, yeah, so I mean, this, you know, Harrison had over a thousand yards receiving, uh, as a tight end, and you know, that that could be beneficial, uh, you know, for Jacob Mathis. Um, probably another position of need at tight end because we we kind of saw what. Fred Lloyd and Chris Carter could and couldn't do um, this past season. I don't know how they'll change it up schematically with the tight ends. I don't know if they'll run, you know, just 10 personnel or 11 and kind of keep one tight end on the field at all times. But 
it was it was definitely beneficial. Uh, what are, if for I can them. jump in real, real quick, what are the numbers on the lines on both lines, line of scrimmage numbers, or scholarship numbers? Do you have those? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, offensive line. So it was. I I didn't. I wouldn't dare try to split it up by tackle, guard, center. Um, so I just did O line. Um, right now, eleven with one, two, three, four, five with starting experience. Uh, defensive end, I was able to break that up uh, seven, and then defensive tackle is eight with uh, JT Tuatopo, uh, also in the fold. Um, one, two, three, four, five with five defensive tackles with starting experience. And exactly zero defense events with starting experience. That, well, so what do you that think? What do you think about the? Here. My question is like, um, obviously, there's they got a lot of time, but um, is there any concern over the offensive line recruiting the class? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, put it frankly, yeah. I mean. You, you lose Miller, Mary, yeah, excuse me, Miller, Merriweather, Lewis, um, right after uh, the announcement of the coaches. Then Christopher Love flips from USF to Maryland, which Maryland. What? Yeah. What? 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 What, did, what the fuck did is Matt Watson doing up there? But uh, you know, as of right now, we have one committed offensive lineman, uh, Mr. Evan Webster. Um, he is an offensive tackle. Can't remember where he's from, but. Wachula Hardy. Which, yeah. God, that name. Is, it was on the tip of my tongue. Um, yeah, the I mean, Harvard of Wachula County. Oh, God. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's there's not a lot there. There's not a lot. I mean, we just passed early signing day, so there's not a whole lot of extra fresh offensive linemen. So your next immediate you know, glance is the transfer portal and the JUCO level. And I mean... There's a lot of guys there, but hell, I mean, everyone in the state of Florida, as far as yeah. recruiting, needs offensive linemen right now. You mentioned it on the film room that, you know, USF needs it dire, but so does FSU, so does Florida, so does Miami, so does Miami, yeah, especially. Yeah, that's, Miami. that's my concern with like a lot of the guys in the transfer portal in the past have been, hey, you're from Florida, you left. Now you, you didn't turn out, so you come back home. Well, Miami needs offensive linemen. Florida State needs offensive linemen. Florida needs offensive linemen. Almost every program in the state, USF needs them. UCF probably needs every everybody really needs them in the state. So that's going to be tough. I think they have a good. They obviously have a plan because they were able to pull two pretty good players in the transfer portal, uh, the quarterback, and then Darian Felix, who's really explosive uh, from Fort Myers. Um, so they obviously have a plan. I'm sure. They seem uh, Scott seems pretty with it. Like he's got an idea of what he wants to do, but that's my one concern is um, you got it. That's another thing. Just like you want to have a quarterback every year, kind of you, you want to have, you know, you want to have probably four linemen every year too. Um, and they might right now they got one. And, and so if they don't hit the portal hard, which I think a lot of people are going to be doing, that's going to be kind of a tough to get that turned around. Now it could just be, that uh, internal development, just you have a lot of guys coming back that have played a lot. So maybe that's what they're hoping, just internal development. But um, I don't think it would be a bad thing to get some guys in here to push guys either. Uh, I did a quick search of uh, the 
24-7 transfer portal, and there are 34 offensive linemen in the portal that have not committed to other schools still. So there we go. hit it hard. Many, uh, yes, get on it. The portal. It's like uh, I think of Doctor Strange. You know, he like opens those things up. Yeah, that's what I think Jeff Scott's doing. He's just sitting. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> opening him up, sticking his head in, looking for you got any linemen here. No, all right. Then he goes to the next. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, um, oh no, I was gonna say. I mean, there is hope that you know some of the some of the young guys that we didn't see any of uh, this past season. There is hope that. You know, there's there's talent to be scrounged there on the offensive line. I one guy in particular that stuck out to me on when I watched his film from high school was uh, Dustin Hall um, from uh, Punta Gorda, Florida. Um, freshman, true freshman last year, offensive guard had really good size, really good physicality, but I didn't even see him suited up most games. So you know, there's there's hope that. You know the twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen guys are there's talent there to to be salvaged and not another lost class basically like the uh, like our like our beloved uh, twenty seventeen class right sixteen sixteen yeah yeah uh, um, uh, I will say that there's another position of need especially at uh, you know running back there's only four guys. Um, right now and one of them josh barry's coming off a torn acl so you know kelly joiner darren felix from oregon and then brian petit from uh bradenton gonna need a couple more running backs there um you know they're high on sariki uh dave small scored a touchdown but we're gonna need something here um just and, uh, you know do it. unless unless he's only doing track <clears throat> So right now he's only, he's only track. Ah, okay. So we'll we'll see how that ends up. Um, I was told if he decides to play football and be on scholarship at USF, it has to be counted toward football. You can't hide him. All right. You used to hide Santana Moss on a track scholarship anymore. Correct. You cannot do that anymore. Thanks, Miami. They ruin everything. They really do. Um, moving on. So we've got a new strength and conditioning coach. Get the popcorn ready. Isn't that fun? Um, That's a lot of fun. Do I think so, too. Or you want to talk about? <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk about him first, just for a second. Um, yep. So it, you know, I think it's vital. You're the guy who is interacting with your players the most is your first hire. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jermaine Carroll uh, is now the new uh, director of football strength and conditioning. And uh, he spent the last two years uh, at Arkansas with Chad Morris, um, worked with Morris at SMU. A lot of experience. He played at uh, Oklahoma State, won a couple bowl games there. Um, we're, you know, I think this is probably one of the better moves for Jeff Scott right now. Um, just to get some new blood in there. And I think, I don't know if we had a podcast after the announcement that, you know, everybody was getting the boot, but from people I've talked to, it 
it was needed, um, especially after last year. The last two years, things just never quite got right, as you saw from the, you know, on the field. Um, it's good to get some new blood, and you know, former strength and conditioning coach Pat Moore is now gone. Um, Lord willing, he has left the state. That's what I say, Nate. Are you sure you want to do this without <laughs> confirmation that he's out of states yet? <laughs> um, would you like a, but, like a vo- voice changer? No, I'm all right. <laughs> um, so last year, a former player reached out to me, and uh, you know we've been talking here and there, and then uh, we exchanged phone numbers. And I'm still working at CVS and he calls me and goes, you are not going to believe what just happened to me. I was like, what? He then proceeds to tell me he was at the Chick-fil-A on Fowler in 53rd, the one right by campus. Pat Moore was in line and was not happy with some of the things that I said on social media and tried to fight me. He said, let's park and handle this. Um, so your head strength and conditioning coach is trying to fight a former player over things that that player said on social media. That's not a great look, fellas. At all. But wait, there's more. After that incident, um, the the player just drove off. He wasn't dealing with Pat Moore uh, in a parking lot at Chick-fil-A. So Pat Moore and another one of his assistant uh, strength and conditioning coaches went into Campus Rec looking for that former player. Um, That former player was tipped off that these two guys were looking for him. And, uh, yeah, Pat Moore was really mad about something that this player said on social media. Didn't, didn't say his name, just said he was not good at his job. And frankly, he was not good at his job. You could, I mean, look at the amount of soft tissue injuries that we've had over the last couple of years. Tends to lead back to strength and conditioning and, you know, your offense and defensive line getting pushed around tends to go back to strength and conditioning. Um, I I know that he had conversations with uh, the administration uh, about this incident and uh, it got handled appropriately uh, from USF side. Uh, But that's kind of the toxicity that existed last year under this, under Charlie strong in 2018. And, um, you know, everything that this player told us came to fruition, like every, single last thing that he relayed to us about what was going on, how the players felt was a hundred percent true. Um, it's why we kind of tend to believe the player most of the time uh, when stuff like this happens, because they're in it and they understand it. Um, but since Pat Moore is no longer on the, uh, with the program, I think I, I'm safe to say this story. Um, even if I'm not, what are you really going to do about it? Uh, 
I, I would gladly take your paycheck, brother. Um, but here we are. Uh, I thought it was a appropriate story to. T- yeah, right. <clears throat> I've I've moved. Um, in, in anticipation but, of telling the story. Yeah. And on this um, note, I am no longer the lead editor. <laughs> Congratulations, Seth and Nick. <laughs> well, I, um, I think what I mean, kind of uh, going off that story. Um, and like you already mentioned, that the strength and conditioning coach is now your number one culture setter in college football. They spend, like you said, they spend the most time with the players. And um, I'm doing a little reading on the new strength guy they brought in. Um, what was interesting to hear about, there's a couple of things that kind of stuck out. They had an article about him kind of when he went to Arkansas. Um, he said his number one priority this is the number one the most important task he does is culture is create a culture so i thought that was a good thing to read um he also spoke about and chad morris the reason said the reason you know what we like to focus on is speed and explosiveness are kind of two so this is a guy that is coming in that's philosophy is he's an olympic lifter he's not just trying to get guys bulked up and huge um they do olympic lifts so you know you're hang you're clean clean and jerk that kind of stuff um, that build explosiveness, explosiveness and functional strength. He gears everything towards actually stuff that you're going to do on the field. Um, he even talked about he will go to the position coach and find out exactly what they want and will tailor workouts for the position players that way. He will go to the training staff and tailor workouts based on your injury history and give you prehab assignments and things like that. So he seems just kind of reading through his philosophies and stuff, he seems really – uh, with it really well put together, kind of really um, going to be involved in every aspect of the program um, off the field and how they end up playing on the field. So it's kind of good to see kind of his philosophies and they kind of, they're obviously going to uh, drive with the, with coach Scott, but just kind of see that they're looking to add speed and explosiveness. It's just something that was solely lacking all season. And it's going to be important because he's going to be the really the first guy from the Scott regime that they really interact with, you know, because you think about it. I mean, he's got like up in Clemson for the next month. And then for the next couple of weeks after that, he's going to be on the recruiting trail. So him coming in will be a good opportunity to, for the players to just kind of get like, kind of get up to speed of like what to really expect. Yep. Uh, you know, he'll he'll uh, help them get through winter workouts. And I think, you know, this team is probably going to need it. Um, it and it, it again, uh, we can't reiterate that how this is the, the right way to do it is get your strength guy in first, especially when you're not going to be here because you you he's the one guy that's like a, really allowed to truly interact with the players. Um, and it. It'll be a good tone setter when for when uh, Jeff Scott gets back. Um, it looks like former Buccaneer uh, Daquan Bowers will be uh, heading down to Tampa as well, uh, likely as a defensive line coach or defensive ends coach, depending on how you know Jeff wants to split it up. Um, he had been a, a volunteer assistant coach at Clemson basically because uh, he hadn't graduated college yet. So I guess there's a rule. I, I had no idea that 
to be a college coach, you have to have a degree. Um, I figured for for being a head coach, yes. Um, shout out, you know, Steve Masiello. Masiello. Uh, <laughs> some, play, some places want ma- master's degrees too. Jeez. Oh hell. Uh, so Daquan Bowers actually is walking this weekend, or he just walked. So now he's eligible yeah, to be. Yeah, he walked um, yesterday. So now he's eligible to be a head coach or a, a position coach at least. Um, it should, I think it'd be all right. Um, and then uh, Xavier Brewer uh, looks like he may be heading down as well. Uh, unsure, I unsure what he does, but um, if anyone back. wants to tell, defensive backs coach. Yeah, he, well, he was he was a DB, so I'm assuming. He's not going to coach quarterbacks, um, or anything. So okay, um, yep. Just my assumption, but um, I did want to kind of make a point because I know I think Seth and I kind of talked about this casually at one point. How you kind of don't want to, or it's kind of weird whenever you bring in like a quote unquote like star guy, like a really good player to go in and coach, um. Because a lot of times they have the intangibles that your normal kids don't have. So teaching them to, you know, shed blocks and and to, uh, you know, make, you know, have proper form on tackling, you know, sometimes it's natural for everyone. But I don't know, getting getting these young guys just gets me excited. Like, you know, these guys aren't, you know, 60 years old and playing old school style football. These are, you know, young guys that are relatable to these kids and can hopefully, uh, you know, coach them up a little bit more and recruit well as well. What, what was kind of I mean, interesting change. about Bowers? Okay. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, Weiss Jr. is what, 26? Yeah. That's that's really young. What, what, just what was interesting about the Bowers thing is that um, he was actually on track to graduate in May. He helped the team last year. He was going to try to graduate in May, and Davo asked him if he could wait one more semester. So he obviously provided something. See, he's obviously provided something coaching, and it, that Davo wanted to try to keep him around one more season. So I thought that was kind of a good sign to read that because, yeah, you bring a guy back to your program, but if he sucks at coaching, you may just be like, yeah, all right, good job. You got your degree, buddy. Great. And then, you know, let him go. But. Um, he kind of, he asked him to delay it so he could come back and coach one more season. So I think that speaks well uh, to him. The one thing um, I don't know, I don't really know a ton about Charlie Weiss Jr., but I do have one question. Why wouldn't Lane Kiffin take him with him? If he was really. Uh, I think you get. Uh, I think their his assistant coaches pool is like somewhere around like eight million dollars. We can probably get a. But if but if if he thought this guy was this guy's been his offensive coordinator for the last two years, if he thought he was a rising star, why wouldn't he hire him? That's my. Uh, and the guy he ended up hiring well, is like somehow related to. Him. Oh it's wait, like I know exactly that. why. So there maybe yeah, that, but that's my only kind of reservation because I think they've done really well. It's all, but it's always that thing when you have the offensive head coach and the offensive coordinator. Who's really doing? Who's calling the plays? Really, it's that kind of scary bit of it. But uh, they've had really good offenses his, both his seasons. So, you know, 
and he's a young guy, like Steve was saying, get a lot of these young guys in here. It'll be interesting to have a young staff that's hungry and wants to go out and recruit probably. You know, that would be um a interesting way to go as in a as in a, opposed to some other regimes. Ooh, it was uh, Kiffin hired the UCF. Uh, yeah, he did, and I'm I'm pretty sure there was a reason why he chose him. Was he had ties related, to that area? I yeah, I think they're somehow related, like a brother-in-law or something. Mm-hmm. But I just, also, that was my one thing: is why yeah. why didn't he go to Ole Miss? But maybe I think uh, somebody might have said in the Slack that he might have had a chance at the FAU job. Like there was thought to maybe hiring him as the head coach. Maybe that's why he stuck around mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, maybe I just want I want to take this shot." So I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if that is the hire because that is another name kind of adding more name value. And as long as his dad doesn't, you know, somehow become the head coach. But... You don't want a decided schematic advantage. God, I remember, remember watching his days of when he was at. I, I forgot he was at Florida for a little bit, but man, he. I've never seen the Florida fan base turn on a man so quickly after one game. I think when he had to sit on a cooler on the sidelines. Yeah, sitting on water coolers at practice. So I think Scott's probably going to bring in a one or two assistant coaches. Um, that are a little bit older uh, to Steak's, you know, point and, you know, how young these guys are. Uh, I think it's important to have some old heads. Um, I think his dad's probably going to fill that role pretty well, but to have some people uh, that he can trust uh, that's kind of been through it a little bit, uh, I think it is going to be vital uh, for him to survive. Um, you know, Willie had Chuck Sherwin. Oh God, no! Um, have you? Have, did you guys see? Did you guys see his feet? Can you believe he posted his feet on Twitter? I thought you guys will have to tell me. You guys know him better than me. Did he have a toe amputated and reattached his left, his, his left big toe? If you look at the picture, it looks like a different toe was sewn on his foot. Jesus Christ! You're really good at analytics, man. Oh my the first God, thing I saw, I'm like, that's hideous. not the same. That's not the same skin tone. What I think that's on? his right toe on his left foot. I don't that's understand. Like How did... toe. <laughs> I think I saw bolts on the side. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah. So let's quickly move on to basketball. Uh, men's basketball lost a just absolute heartbreaker to Utah State uh, the other night. Um, they battled. They were, I think, they were down by ten early on. Battled back, took the lead, bricked free throws as USF has that propensity to do over the last two years. Uh, and then what? David Collins gets a uh, call for charge, fouls out, and then with like four seconds left, Utah State gets a putback. Um, that bounces off like three players, and it's just right there. Um, just a, another heartbreaking defeat um, in what's turning out to be a very trying season for Brian Gregory and company. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out how to play without Alexis Jetna and Mayan Kerr. Their their front court is not deep enough to 
sustain. And I think we're going to, I think we may be in for a long conference conference play. There's two more games, I believe uh, in the non-con schedule. They got the orange bowl um, basketball classic against Florida state, believe at noon. And then they finish out uh, non-con play uh, at home on Monday or Tuesday against FAU. Um, but man, it's it's going to be tough, uh, tough sledding the rest of the way uh, for these Bulls if they can't figure out, uh, you know, how to play without, you know, the best player uh, on that roster. And uh, on the on the flip side, women's basketball, they they hung tough for a while. You know, they they got it down to what fifty one fifty against uh, number fifteen Mississippi State. And then the, this, the, the wheels fell off. They had two shots to take the lead, bricked them, and then I think Mississippi State went on like a 35-11 to 11 run to finish the game. Um, right. Head coach, yeah, it, it got bad. It got bad quick. Uh, Jose Fernandez was uh, ejected from the game. Um, I said right after that happened that he was just trying to beat Colin to the casino. He is not slick. We know your games, Jose. Um, you want to get on that porch quick. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls play tomorrow. I think they play UNLV at noon tomorrow yep. uh, for the final duel in the desert game. And then they'll head home. They're they're pretty banged up. Um, Eliza Pinzon is out four to six weeks uh, with an ankle injury. Uh, Betty should be back, mm-hmm. if not already. Um, but she may be back when they return from the trip. Uh, they're, they're, again, they're going to have to start, you know, knocking off these uh, American conference teams real quick uh, here. This when conference play starts to kind of rebuild some momentum and maybe sneak into a, a NCAA tournament spot. But it, it, it's looking for the looking as a NIT team uh, right now. Uh, unfortunately, just I was about to say, bad breaks. Um, Memphis, uh, Memphis women's basketball is got vastly improved. Um, they probably have one of the best young girls in the league. Uh, she's broken, or she's she's set the record twice for most threes in a game from Memphis. And she's lighting it up, and, and UCF still looks good. We thought they were going to drop off. Um, and then there's that one school uh, uh, up in the New England area. That I don't know what they're called, but they're pretty good. Um, you know, they're they're probably bound to the NIT this year. I just I, it sucks that our school is built on an Indian burial ground of you know not being good at basketball consistently. Cursed by ghost pirate. Yeah. But if it's any consolation, um, was uh, since Nick covers uh, football recruitment, I thought I'd try my hand into uh, basketball recruitment. Caleb Murphy, oh God. right? <laughs> Caleb Murphy is uh, just playing out of his mind for Grayson. Um, not the same, or yeah, um, he's I think got a team off to an undefeated start. Um, him, his, him, and his teammate are just lighting it up in the backcourt right now. Um, you know, he's, he's definitely going to be an instant impact guy for USF next year. Um, and then in fantastic hair. Yeah. Great, great hair. If you guys uh, haven't seen Caleb, Caleb's hair, uh, check it out. It's fantastic. 
He's on all hair team already um, for USF. Uh, and then Emmanuel Okpomo has been playing well. Um, I don't have his stats handy because I can't find his school's Twitter account, uh, which is really unfortunate because I just can't find it right now. And then um, Luke Anderson, obviously, he's going to be a practice squad guy, uh, you know, hopefully being able to give uh, USF some good looks. Uh, I think he's down in Tampa finally, so. Yeah, he should. Uh, he's expected to enroll in January and practice, start practicing with the team. So that's an extra, uh, you know, front court body to kind of practice against uh, for Michael Durr and, and, and the like. So, you know, good. Uh, I think they have two more scholarships, or maybe I'm mistaken. Let's see. Let me count. Q. Oh, no, I think they're done. I think they might be done now. Uh, I think Luke's the number th- the number three guy. They had Kerr, I think were, yeah, uh, I think Rideau, and Antoon. So yeah, so they're capped out. Um, I'd anticipate uh, turnover because there's always turnover. Um, not that this is not, you know, I'm hearing things. This is there's always turnover. Um, that. We'll see, you know, Brian Gregory, when he was on the podcast um, right after the CBI, you know, LeCoency was uh, weighing his options about going to the NBA or not. And, you know, Brian still has to figure out how to field the team. If Quincy leaves, there's a scholarship open, so he's got to recruit, but you can't really recruit that hard because your guy still may come back. It's kind of one of those things, um, you know, David Collins may, may say, you know what, I've I've done all I can here. I can, let's see if I can make it. Um, he'll probably definitely, uh, he will probably definitely, Jesus, he will definitely put his name into the, you know, the NBA draft stock board and kind of go from there just like Quincy did. But, you know, you, you never know. Um, go get that money any way you can, guys. Uh, don't feel loyalty to your university. I promise you it'll be okay. If you want to go get that paper, shout out James Wiseman for realizing this and getting the F out of Memphis. Um, I truly appreciate that because, you know, his first game back was against USF on January 12th, and he was going to go for 40 and 20 against USF for sure. <laughs> Eat our soul. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. Uh, Grayson is ranked, according to Max Press, Grayson is ranked 11th in the nation. So Murphy has been playing at a really high level. And like you said, he's going to be an instant impact once he gets down to Tampa. Yep. Um, any last uh, words for you guys? Um, oh, I, I guess uh, real quickly, uh, baseball's uh, schedule came out late last week. I think I, the weeks have kind of blended together. Um, lots of firsts. They open the season against Mayors College. Uh, it's their first matchup ever. Uh, they open the season February 14th. Um, their first weekend series at Florida versus Florida or at Florida um, for the first time since 2011. Uh, they'll play Miami on the road for the first time since 2011. Um, they play Fairfield for the first time since 1973. Um, they get... UCF at home, May 1st through the 3rd. They close out against um, fake tough guy Cliff Godwin and ECU on the road to close out conference play. 
They open conference play with Memphis. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, anything else? Softball season starts shortly um, as well. They release their schedule, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. But I will say uh, Jessica Moore is coaching the team this season uh, because Ken Erickson is busy. Yeah, because Ken Erickson is coaching Team USA in the Olympic. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, that's decent. So, you know, when when your country hits you up and, hey, man, give us a, you know, Coach for us, you, you kind of say okay. Um, so he'll he should be he should be back for the 2021 season. Um, but yeah, I think that that's super interesting that you know your USF's always been good, and I think it's a, a true honor to have you know your head coach pick to to lead this. Uh, you know your national softball program, who's I mean they've been stellar for years. Um, but it's going to be exciting to watch the Olympics. I think this is their one and only shot in the Olympics because they get kicked out of the Olympics uh, during the next cycle. Um, so you, they got to make it count, right? Um, so that's exciting. Um, anything else that you guys may want to, you know, hit up real quick? I, I'm I'm all ears. I'm I think I'm I'm tapped. I got a name I want to throw out for a potential coaching hire. Uh, there's a, an analyst at Clemson named Cam Aiken that Jeff Scott has been raving about for like two or three years to to the media. He's like uh, started off as a videographer, uh, was originally a student coach, went to UAB, came back. I'm gonna I just maybe so that may be a guy. There's an article in the Athletic about him. Um, I wonder if. A guy like him, who's uh, got a lot of pub from Jeff Scott specifically about how smart he is and how qualified he is. Maybe Cam Aiken will get a shot coming to USF. I once, you know, when we when we discussed uh, the the burn it down strategy that Jeff Scott's going for, I discussed that we need to burn down nearly everything and anything having to do with football and just getting, get rid of it all. Like anyone who touched the program in the last, uh, since Charlie strong took over needs to go. Uh, I still stand strongly with my words. Uh, you know, guys gotta go, uh, probably need fresh faces. You know, we need to get rid of the janitor who uh, was cleaning. I, I, I think it needs to be fresh from top to bottom. Start building that practice, uh, that indoor uh, practice facility in the football center now. Uh, make sure no current players touch the old practice facility at all. Uh, bleach it. Keep it clean, man. Yeah, I just <laughs> this, this program. I mean, I think we all kind of anticipate this, but I mean, next year may be really bad uh, football wise. I mean, we we don't have an easy schedule. There's not a cupcake team on that schedule um, anymore. You know, ECU's not going to walk over anymore. Uh, God bless it. We don't play UConn anymore. FAU is good. Nevada is always, you know, decent at sports. Yeah. You know, Could you imagine scheduling UConn out of conference? <laughs> Could be me. Could be me for a million dollars. Same. Could you I imagine was... giving back their exit fee, some of their exit fee money, to play He's... them? He's got a, a, a um, good old uh, God. What is what is his name there? What is UCS athletic director? 
Danny, Danny Boy. Daniel? Yeah, Danny, Daniel, Daniel White has got to be out the door at this point. He's just, I think he's just playing fuck you money at this point with the UCS budget. It's going to come out like six months from now that, you know, when he's finally out the door and he's, you know, the athletic director at Minnesota or something like that, that he was like laundering money in the back. That's how they built the Lazy River. And they'll get away with it. Yeah. Um, I think that's it for us. Um, I appreciate you guys listening to the Bluminati podcast. Um, you know, it, I really, really hope Pat Moore doesn't find my address. <laughs> and well, I'm, I'm a little concerned because have you ever seen somebody angry at Chick Fil A? Yes. Uh, right. <laughs> I have not. I have not. I've never seen it. People don't get their chicken sandwiches in there. It's like a fast food Disney World. (laughs) I mean, if you put pickles on my Chick Fil A sandwich, we may have some problems. But other than that, I'll be nice about it. But I've never been like, "All right, meet me in the parking lot," because I'm about to fight you over these pickles. Meet me in the pool. (laughs) Yikes! Mess with somebody that fights. And that. And uh, I think Jamie. I think someone said it in Slack. Like that's such a small parking lot. The one on Fowler, like it's so tiny, it's so compact. Like if you're if you're in that line, you're stuck in it. Like if you're like, dude, this line's too long. I'm sorry, you have nowhere else to go. You're here for the next two hours. And much I mean, like Pat Disney. Moore and 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 this former player. I mean, these are two large guys too. They probably take up <laughs> like two or three spots each. Like Jesus. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. Uh, I appreciate uh, Nick coming on to discuss the recruiting. Uh, we'll have you back on uh, probably in January as we head toward uh, you know signing day in February, and then we'll recap the class and see kind of what what shakes of Jeff Scott's transition class. And guys, again, don't freak out about the ratings. We'll be all right. Gobbles. Fire Scott, shaking hands. Instead of recruiting, firescott.com. We've already got the drop. <laughs> Ron Zook style, taking it back early 2000. Oh, go, go Bulls. Bulls.